Blessed are you, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. And we turn now to the Megillah. And the blessing before the Megillah is Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kireshanu B'Mitzatah V'Tzivanu Al Mikra Megillah. Chapter 11. Send your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it. Distribute portions to seven or even to eight, for you never know what calamity will strike the land. If the clouds are filled, they will pour down rain on the earth. If a tree falls down in the south or the north, whether the tree, wherever the tree falls, there it shall remain. One who watches the wind will never sow, and one who keeps his eyes on the clouds will never reap. Just as you do not know the way of the wind, nor the nature of the embryo in a pregnant stomach, so... You can never know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not be idle, for you cannot know which will succeed, this one or that, or whether both are equally good. Sweet is the light, and it is good for the eyes to behold the sun. Even if a man lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is futility. Rejoice, young man, in your childhood. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Follow the path of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But be aware that all these things God will call you to account. Rather, banish anger from your heart and remove evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are futile. Chapter 12. So I remember your creator, so remember rather, so remember, excuse me, your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and those years arrive of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun, the light, the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain and the days when the clouds of the house will tremble and the powerful men will stoop and the grinders are idle because they are few and the gazers through windows are dimmed when the doors and the streets are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, when one raises up the voice of the bird and the daughters of the song grow dim, when they even fear a height and a terror in the road and the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper becomes a burden and the desire fails, so man goes to his eternal home while the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord snaps and the golden bow is shattered, and the pitcher is broken at the fountain, and the wheel is smashed at the pit. Thus the dust returns to the ground as it was, and the Spirit returns to God as he, who gave it. Futility of futility, says Kohelet, all is futile. That is all an allegory of someone who's growing old and breaking down and eventually go to the dirt. You know, there was an insight I shared about the seat seats and how when there's an insight about the white and it refers, one of the ideas is it refers to the seat seat. And one of the reasons why we wear a seat seat on a four-cornered garment is so that 
we, when we look at them, we remember to keep Torah. But the sages also bring down that when we're looking down, we're looking down at the seat seat to remember to keep Torah. And as a result, we're also looking at the ground that one day we'll end up in. So it's all, a, it's all an exercise in humility that we're looking at the seat seat to remember, listen, you can't sin. You cannot go along with that temptation because you need to follow God's Torah. And besides, you're going to the grave one day and will have to give an account. And so <clears throat> it says, and besides being wise, Kohelet also imparted knowledge to the people. He listened and sought out and arranged many proverbs. Kohelet sought to find words of delight and words of truth recorded properly. The words of the wise are like goads, and the nails well driven are the sayings of the masters of collections coming from one shepherd. Beyond these, my son, beware, the making of many books is without limit, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The sum of the matter, here we come to the, the big crescendo. The sum of the matter, when all has been considered, when everything that the, the, the man of wisdom, when King Shlomo, the Kohelet, He's written Proverbs, he's written all of Ecclesiastes, he's written Shir Hashirim, the, the deep things. The Shir Hashirim is, this man has been into the proverbial holy of holies. When all has been considered and all the wisdom I've learned, this is what it boils down to. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the man's whole duty. Now I want you to think about this in terms of what Many people are coming out of, many people are being rescued and saved at, the, at our present time. And thank God from thousands of years of absolutely, utterly false theology. A, a theology that says that the, the law of Moses is not for today, it should not be followed. In fact, if you follow it somehow, you're trampling the Messiah underfoot. Absurdity ridiculousness, and it's led to great calamity. I want you to think about something today. Just put it in, per, in perspective. That, uh, that today we have issues, even on our own country today, with uh, race relations, right? Some people stoke those fires, but that's for another time. A lot of that stems from the time when the United States had slavery. But the United States wasn't alone. The whole world had slavery. Every culture, every skin tone has been enslaved. Nobody has, no one can say, well, I'm of a certain skin tone, therefore I, I, I have this issue of slavery in my life. Every skin tone has had slavery. I've been a slave too once. My, my great, 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 granddaddy was a slave in Egypt way before anybody else was slaves, right? But let's bring it back home to our own country, Los Estados Unidos. Even when they, when, when they didn't have, even when they didn't have slavery in the north, they had factories and they enslaved employees, right? That's in a whole other discussion, but... Um, but let's think about it. If we were following Torah in our country, we would not have had slavery. We would have had slavery only from the standpoint of indentured servitude to pay off a debt. And then it would not have been perpetual slavery. Someone would have been only a slave for seven years. And then they would have been 
when it was time for them to, to leave and no longer be a slave, they would have been financially and uh, otherwise equipped to be successful. Which, by the way, I don't want to get into history, but you know me. Did you know that that was Robert E. Lee's plan? You know, everybody that wanted to take a statue down? Did you know that Robert E. Lee wanted to end slavery, but before he did it, he wanted to educate and equip all the slaves so that they could be on their own and be successful? That was his plan? They don't tell you that on the news media. But trust me, I know. Because I've read his actual memoirs. <clears throat> but I don't want to get into all that. Y'all don't want to hear about that. But that, is, that was Robert E. Lee's plan. That was also Stonewall Jackson's plan. Do you know that? You know that Stonewall Jackson financed out of his own pocket a black church in Virginia because he wanted them to be educated and learn how to read. And he, he wrote a letter home. Do you all want to hear this? He wrote a letter home after one of his great victories before he was Robert E. Lee's Corps commander. And everybody was standing around. Uh, it was Harper's Ferry, I believe it was. They were all standing around waiting for the letter from the general. To, and they, the mayor was there, and they expected to hear about this great battle that he had, he had won. It's like re- crazy. And so they get the letter, and the mayor opens up the letter, and he's going to read it to the whole town. And instead of, there wasn't one word about the victory in there, not one word. There was simply a check. Uh, and if you'll forgive the expression, I'm just going to use the lingo of the time. He said, please take this money and buy more Bibles for the Negro church so that they can learn, continue to learn how to read by using the Bible. That's Stonewall Jackson. They want to take his statue down too. But See, this is why education is important, Right? But again, so it says here, fear God and keep his commandments for that is man's whole duty for God will judge every deed, even everything hidden, whether good or evil. So again, we hear as, as I, my example in history, what we hear a lot of times theologically is the exact opposite of what's written. A lot of times what we hear in history is the exact opposite of what actually happened. And we live in a very much, we live in a, a, a cafe latte world where we liked everything, you know, bumper sticker. And so we hear things like, don't be under the law. And as I said in the Aliyah, um, I think it was this week, and they all kind of run together for me sometimes. But as I've said in the Aliyah, the law of God is the word of God. It's the spirit of God. It's the, it's the scriptures of God. It's the word of God. If you say, I don't want to be under the law, what you're literally saying is, I don't want to be under God's word. If you say, I don't, want to, I don't want to follow the law of Moses, what you're literally saying is, I don't, want to, I don't want to follow the scriptures of God. That's what you're literally saying. You say, well, that's not what I mean. I said, I know. I know that's not what you mean because you don't even know what you mean. Because you, you're thinking, when you think law of God, you think of, of some kind of weird, like it's not biblical or something. It's, it's odd. But here's, here is Shlomo, the, not our Shlomo. This is King Shlomo. Not that Slomo's not a king. I mean, he is in his own house, but I'm saying. <laughs> Here is Shlomo, the wisest man in the world, and he says, listen, after I have considered everything, this is all that matters. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't, it, this is all I need to hear. 
This right here eliminates thousands upon thousands of sermons from people who would say, don't obey the law. I, wiped out with one sentence. Because they're nowhere near, I'm nowhere near, even a hair's breadth as wise as Solomon. And so when the great king says, listen, I've considered it all. And obeying God's commandments is what you need to do. Bam. Drop the mic, walk off the stage, but also you need to know. Why are we debating anything? It's crazy, isn't it? Let me tell you something else that's crazy. I think, th I think these kinds of things are instructive. So I had somebody recently um, respond to our Yom Kippur teaching. And their question was that, listen, you know, a lot of the things you say are the, quote, traditions of men. How many of you have heard about the traditions of man, quote, right? Don't you just love that? <clears throat> so my response to that was, well, look, um, we all have traditions. No one is so, it's impossible to be word of God only. A lot of people say, don't raise your hand, but they, if I ask you, believe that it's following the word of God only, people are like, yeah, I follow only the word of God because that sounds deeply spiritual. I follow, I follow, I'm only the word of God. I don't want to do any traditions of men. No traditions of men, word of God only. If you can't tell me what page it's on, I'm not going to do it. I said, great, great. How do you keep Shabbat? Because I'm assuming you believe in the Torah, right? So how do you keep Shabbat? Well, we do stop. You've just entered into a tradition. So the, the response to that brilliant reply that I gave was, yes, but I don't make my traditions law. Great. Let's deal with that. I think this is instructive. You want to hear this? I'm, it's all about you today. I just want to know what you want to hear. <laughs> you don't want to hear it. I'll stop talking about it. We'll talk, we'll talk about unicorns and candy, can, candy uh, canes, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. So I said, all right, all right let's, think, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, I have my own traditions. Well, first of all, you have to deal. Don't, don't, when you're talking with somebody, don't get into an argument. Don't you, you're just having a conversation. Don't let them run past what you've just addressed. Because if, when somebody says, I'm word of God only, I only do what God says, and then they admit to you that, well, in fact, actually I don't. Actually what I do is I make up my own traditions and I follow them. Stop, because that just destroyed your whole argument over here. But see, people like to go, okay, yeah, but here's another one. They throw up the little skeet thing. Pull! They like, they like to skeet shoot. See how many you can hit. Not realizing that when you hit the first one, that destroyed all the whole box. All right, but, okay, let's go ahead and deal with it because this is important stuff because we've got to get into what's real. So he said, well, I don't, I don't, like, I don't make my um, uh, traditions law. Of course you don't because, A, you're a Gentile. Therefore, you can't make anything law. B, you don't know anything, so that's be like me asking a plumber to teach me about surgery. So there's no authority. Why would I? Why would I make your traditions my laws? When, okay, A, you don't. B or C, rather, you've never sat on the Sanhedrin because these men 
were men of the Sanhedrin who made these laws. Uh, D, not only did you not sit on the Sanhedrin, but the guys that sat on the Sanhedrin were actually appointed by the Torah to do so. Just like when we elect senators, I pass a law right now that we, everybody has to pay a flat tax. Y'all go out there and don't pay the IRS anything. I'm telling you right now that there is now, I decree today, because I don't follow the laws of men, the Congress. I follow only the Constitution of the United States. So I declare and decree to you today it's flat tax only, and the flat tax is 5%. So from now on, don't pay anything to the IRS. Only pay 5%. And when they come to arrest you, you just look at them and you say, my rabbi said. My rabbi, why'd you get him? Stop, don't tase me, bro. You son, my rabbi. And see how that works out for you. Now, you know why that's not going to work out for you? Because I have no authority. But the guys who made those traditions have authority. They're guys like, you know, no-name guys like Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, some guy I never heard. What's his name? Zerubbabel. Mordecai, Zechariah, those guys, you know. Uh, Obadiah, I think he had a book in the Bible, didn't he? Any, who's got a book in the Bible in here? Anybody? No. So uh, there's that. Now, I'm going to throw one thing at you as well. Because this is all important stuff. Because really, I'm going to tell you where the root of all that I just said. I, I, I don't want to follow the root of me. You want to hear what the root is? Do you want to hear this? Okay. The root of that is anti-Semitism. Because I want to do any tradition I want to do as long as it's not a Jewish tradition. That's the truth. You take that to the bank. I'm not an anti-Semite. I would never kill Jews. Who's this? Since when did racial prejudice have to be murder in order to be, be prejudice? I mean, think about that. You can be prejudiced without wanting to kill people, right? There's a lot of people who don't like me because I have brown eyes. I can't tell you how many people won't wait on me because my eyes are brown. Some of y'all are like, what in the world? I've never had anybody. No, but you're not me. I have a unique experience that you can't relate to. No, I'm, I've just made that up. It's my own unique experience. And you can't tell me otherwise because you're not me. You've never lived me. But anyway, somebody says that I don't want to follow these men's traditions. Amit, we don't want to follow the men's traditions. These men make stuff up. Who wants to follow that? Uh, Hand me your, your, your Bible there. Hand me your, your, whatever you got. Yeah, right there. Okay. This is scripture? This is holy scripture? Who told you it was holy? Who told you this was scripture? There's the same men who said fast on Yom Kippur. So wait a minute. Let me get this straight. I'm going to reject their traditions, but I'm going to accept their Bible. Because I only follow the Bible. Well, they told you it was the Bible. Oh, see? Uh. Did that just, did that, did y'all, did the light bulb just go off? The same guys who said light candles on Shabbat are the same guys 
who said Kohelet needs to be in the Bible. And you accept Kohelet, but you want to accept candlelighting. That's arrogance. So, I mean, what are you going to say to that now? I don't know, but there's, okay, spread your bread upon the waters. <laughs> so this is, we've got to get rid of some of this stuff and get out because it's, bind, it's binding people. By the way, don't you understand that everybody following their own traditions is exactly what it means when it says everybody following what's right in their own eyes. And do you not understand that that's called chaos? There's no order to that. Imagine you get into a rowboat and everybody rows in their own direction. Where are you going to go? But that's what we want to do. Some people don't want to row. We throw them overboard. In love. Spread your bread upon the waters. Send your bread upon the waters, for after many days it will return to you. This is understood to be talking about charity. This is understood to be talking about charity. The Midrash says, Are men so foolish as to throw their bread upon the water? Rather, the verse is understood allegorically to, to refer to one like Jethro who told his daughters to invite the stranger Moses, who he thought was just an Egyptian, and who he expected never to see again, all right, to invite him to dinner. So this is talking about charity. This is talking about be willing to bless somebody without expecting anything in return. So Jethro says, listen, invite him in. He thinks this is just an Egyptian. He's going to just pass through. Never going to see this guy again. Little did he know that this man, Moses, would become his son-in-law, married one of his daughters, would become, literally it says here, and I quote, the king of Israel. Do you know that Moses was called the king of Israel? Mm. The first redeemer was the king of Israel, the king of the Jews. Israel, Jews, Hebrews, synonymous terms. The first redeemer was the king of the Jews. Now, do you, oh, you got to understand this because this is so critical because the king, everybody thinks about the king of the Jews as like a, a legal uh, idea. Yes, it is, but it's also a philosophical idea. The Redeemer is the king of the Jews. That's why it was so prophetic when they wrote above the crucifixion stake, king of the Jews, because the reason they didn't want that up there is because that says Messiah. Everybody, somebody, Shlomo said this to me yesterday. He goes, how can people say that Yeshua never claimed to be the Messiah? I said, I don't, I don't know. That is, that is like some crack smoking stuff right there because <laughs> right there it says Mashiach. If you know what you're talking about, but if you don't follow the rabbinical ideas, then you don't know. You're making stuff up. On, it's MSU. You're just following your own traditions. But it says I'm the Mashiach. So it says here this guy is going to be the king of the Jews. And he eventually brought Jethro under the wings of the Shekinah. You know, the Shekinah is a very interesting concept, which is the glory of God, the presence of God in Kabbalistic thinking. It's very interesting because it's like it is God, but it's like a separate entity from God. 
and it's with us now. It's, it, the, the Shekinah was counted as the 70th, 70th man going into Egypt, and it was counted as the last man coming out of Egypt. And it's also, as I shared from Pituke Chotam this week, that the Shekinah is the gate that takes our, you got to come to God through the, she, I'm sorry, you got to come, the only way to get to God is to go through the Shekinah, it takes our prayer. So it's almost like Yeshua is the Shekinah. It's interesting because we just read in John chapter 6 that he says, you have to eat my flesh, right? Well, the sages bring down that the angels eat of the flesh of the Shekinah. And that when the elders went up to the mountain, they didn't bring a sack lunch, but it says they had a meal, and the sages say they were eating of the Shekinah of God. So this is what it means to cast your bread upon the waters. Don't. Think about your benefit, but do what's right for right's sake. This is, I want to share this story with you from that Ma'am Loez brings down. Rabbi Eliezer ben Shamua was walking along the beach when he saw in the distance a boat that had capsized in the water. A man was sitting on an approaching plank, and when it reached the shore, Rabbi Eliezer saw that the man was naked. It was the season of the pilgrimage festival, and so there, there was a great many people on their way to Jerusalem. The man approached them and said, I am a descendant of your brother Esau. Give me clothes that I may cover myself. But the people refused and they cursed him. They said, may all your people be in the same plight. And they taunted him. The man noticed Rabbi Eliezer. I see that you're an elder and a man of distinction. He began, surely believe in the dignity of life. Give me something with which to cover myself. And Rabbi Eliezer took off one of his seven garments and clothed the man in it. He then took him to his house and served him food and drink. Afterward, he gave him 200 dinar and accompanied him 14 parsons all the way to his home. And, and as they were going, he honored him greatly. Sometime later, this man became the emperor in Rome. And he made a decree that every Israelite male should be killed and every woman abused. And the people came to Rabbi Eliezer ben Shemua with a petition and intervened to intervene and talk to the emperor. And he said, you know this government. They do nothing for free, so they gave him a large sum of money to take with him. He went to the emperor, and the emperor let him in, and he said, I've come to plead for mercy. When the emperor saw him, he rose from his throne and fell upon his face. He said, and the, and the emperor said, is it falsehood? Is falsehood written in the Torah? And the rabbi said, No. And the emperor said, it is written in your Torah that an Ammonite and a Moabite may not enter the congregation of God because they did not greet you with bread and water. It is also written, do not, uh, do not abominate the Edomite because he is your brother, Deuteronomy 23.8. I am a descendant of Esau, yet the Jews did not show me any kindness. Surely one who transgresses the Torah deserves to die. Even so, said the rabbi, be merciful and save them. The emperor said, you know that my government does nothing that for free. And he said, I, I have therefore 4,000 dinar. Take them and have mercy. And he said, the 4,000 dinar are yours in return for the 200 dinar that you gave me. And my government will be appeased by food and drink that you served me. Go into my storehouse and take 70 garments in exchange for the garments you gave me and go in shalom. When the sages heard this story, they invoked the verse, cast your bread upon the water for after many days you will find it. Our sages also explain, if you want to dispense charity, dispense it to those who study Torah. Why? Because the Torah is likened to water. Cast your bread upon the waters. This is what it means. 
He who is merciful, the sages say, will be shown mercy. It says in Kohelet, distribute portions to seven or even to eight, for you never know what calamity will strike the land. It says another implication of this is that we should dispense charity on festivals and holidays. Did you hear this? We should dispense charity on festivals and holidays in order to save ourselves from divine wrath. God sees the poor are unhappy and on those occasions, and he weeps. You say, well, I know somebody can't afford to keep Sukkot or whatever. And we should give charity to help them keep the, the, the holiday. The Midrash comments, devote one portion in seven. That is, give one of your days in the week. Give the seventh day that it should be the Shabbat because God rested on the seventh day. Devote eight refers to circumcision. We should devote our lives to maintaining and protecting the circumcision. Avdrama quotes the Midrash and says, The verse alludes to Sukkot, a seven-day festival, followed by Shemini Zeret, the eight-day festival. This may be why Kohelet is read on Sukkot, they write. And as it says, Rabbi Hia said to his wife, When a poor man comes, be quick to offer him bread so that others may be quick to offer it to your children. Because poverty is a wheel that revolves the world, and it comes at some point to all people. And he who is merciful to others, he himself will be shown mercy by heaven. While he is not merciful to others, mercy will not be shown him in heaven. That comes from the Talmud, Shabbat 151b, which is also a teaching of the Mashiach. Why? Because he was a Pharisee. Clouds without rain. It says in the book of Proverbs 25, 14, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts falsely of his gifts, but he does not give. A cloud without rain is, is someone who says, I'll give a bunch of money, I'll and doesn't give a dime. That's a cloud without rain. In Kohelet, it says, if the clouds are filled, they will pour rain on the earth. In the book, of, in the letter uh, that, that Judah wrote, Judah was the, the other brother of the Mashiach, right? He says this, talking about, about these men who infiltrate the community, but they're, they're charlatans. They're not real. They, they infiltrate the community to cause division and strife. And apparently, and uh, whatever Jude was, Judah was dealing with, it's also called, translated Jude, but his name is Judah. Whatever he was dealing with, apparently these were men who were trying to seduce women. So it says, these people are hidden rocky reefs at your love feasts. What does it mean, hidden rocky reef? It means that, that reef that's below the surface of the water that, upon which you're going to run aground in your ship. These people are hidden rocky reefs at your love feasts, shamelessly feasting with you, Tending only to themselves, they are waterless clouds carried along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, doubly dead, uprooted wild waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Let me tell you, by the way, just as a precaution uh, for everybody here, these kinds of people like to get you off in a corner and share little secret insights. Don't tell the rabbi kind of insights. 
But let me tell you how to deal with those people. Oh, no. Drag that right out into the sunlight. Go grab a Zakin immediately. Go grab the Gabai. Grab the Hazan. Grab the rabbi. Let me tell you something. Have you talked to a rabbi about that? No, I haven't. Well, let's go talk to him right now. How shall we? When somebody says, have you, when you say, have you talked to a rabbi? And they say, no, I haven't. Just know they don't want to. <laughs> what they're trying to do is get you <laughs> hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> I have not talked to the rabbi. <laughs> That's what Judah's talking about here. You say, well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings because we don't want to lose anybody. Sometimes it's good to lose people. That's why you trim your bushes and you trim your trees, right? I've learned that lesson. I've been this a long time. Sometimes losing people is a good thing. Rabbi, you're so hard. You don't love people. Yeah, I don't. That's why I do what I do. The lack of logic that exists in the world is stunning. So it says, they are belly-aching grumblers. Oh, I love being around those people. There's, no, I, there's nobody I like to be around more than gr- the person that gripes and complains all the time. Man, that's one. I just feel, oh, I just want to grill. I'm going to get like one of those cinnamon teas and listen to them. Tell me what's wrong. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. What do you not like? What did you do? By the way, do you do anything around there? No. Okay, great. That's awesome. Tell me what you did. What's wrong? How do we fix it? Right? (laughs) Don't shout me down. They follow their own desires. Their mouth speaks grandiose things. They're brilliant, you understand. They know everything about everything they talk about. Showing favoritism for the sake of gain. But you, loved ones, ought to remember the words previously proclaimed by the emissaries of our Lord Yeshua the Mashiach. How they kept telling you, in the last times there will be scoffers following after their own ungodly desires. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, not having the Ruach. The Talmud says, rain is called mighty acts, gevurot, of God. That is the one of the three keys which have not been placed within human jurisdiction. Another of the keys is generating life. And so Kohelet goes on to speak of rain and corresponding with pregnancy and birth, how the bones are in the, full, in the womb and so on. It is one of the great wonders how the firm bones of the fetus are formed in the womb. Even so, you will not know the actions of God because he does, as he does all things. I've wanted to mention that because this is one of the four keys. Resurrection, life, and reign are three of the four keys that God has maintained for himself and a human being cannot have. So therefore, when Yeshua commanded the wind and the rain to stop, they said, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the rain obey him? And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He named three of the four keys right there that only God can have and no human being can have. So if you're waiting on a human Messiah, there's a problem because he doesn't have the key set. That's why it said he had the keys of death and hell. You're waiting on a human Mashiach, he's going to be standing at the door going... 
Can we call the locksmith? I'm trying to get this open. And Yeshua is going to show up and say, I got the keys right here. Don't play God. We've got a few minutes here, so we're going to get through this. Don't play God. In the morning it says, sow your seed. In the evening, do not be idle. The rabbis bring down, those rabbis, the ones that gave us the Bible, this is what they say. Trust Hashem. It says, God decrees concerning wealth and poverty. They're sealed to man. God's already determined whether or not you're going to be rich or not. He's already figured out whether or not I'm going to have a yacht or not. At this point, it's not looking good. <laughs> it's not looking good, but I'm holding out hope. I may have to wait till Shemayim, but anyway, it says, or go on to my, Reverend says, go on a cruise. I mean, we've got to wait for the kids to be out of the house, honey. <laughs> I said that for my daughter's benefit because she was talking about it. I know, I'm just teasing her. It says, God decrees concerning wealth and poverty are sealed to man. Therefore, one must never recoil from charity out of fear that he will lose his estate and become poor. Don't you ever think if I give my tithes or my offerings or I give to the mikvah or whatever that I'm somehow not going to have enough. God will make sure you have more than enough. That's a lie from the enemy. And anybody, I'm just going to say this because I like to deal bluntly. Anybody who's against tithing, they need to get help. They're miserly. They're stingy. Someone says, I don't, I don't believe in tithing. I don't believe that's biblical. You just, you're stingy. That's nothing. Don't start quoting scriptures to me and about the Levites. And you're just stingy. That's all it is. You're stingy. Sometimes we just need to understand what it is. I'm, you say, I don't like tithing. You're miserly. Right, it's true. <clears throat> so it says, trust me, I know, because I've been there. I've been that stingy, miserly person. I know. I was lying to myself. I was holy. You say, holy. I was holy and righteous. But in actuality, I was a loser who was, <laughs> who was greedy and broke. <laughs> yeah, mad because I was broke. Therefore, one must never recoil from giving charity. He will lose his estate and become poor. Do you understand this is what God is saying? God is saying that you will actually become poor if you try to hold on to the money you got. Totally different than what the world tells you to do. Nor refrain from Torah study out of fear that he will neglect your business because if you do that, you'll grow poor. Nor rationalize that he should not marry because... He will have to support children. I don't want to get married because I don't want the responsibility. Don't play God. It goes on to talk here about sowing seed that if you've had children in your early years, don't be afraid to have children in your later years because you never know what set's going to turn out right. That's what it says. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it says. It's in there. You just never know. You never, and don't play God. You say, why? Well, I, I don't want to have a, a son when I'm 50. Maybe God wants you to have a son when you're 50 or 60. 
All the men just right now, just, they went to be with the Lord. <laughs> Don't play God. You never know. And trust me, you know, Rebecina has mentioned at least once about adoption again or little boys or whatever, and I'm like, I see you talking about a papillon, right? <laughs> Not that it hasn't been a blessed experience. It's ha- it has. It's been, it's been, no, it's been good. It's been good. Don't play God. You never know what's going to happen. And by the way, Kohelet brings it down here in the comments again. He says, listen, you got to work while there's still light. you got to do what you got to do while there's still time. Don't let anything go to waste. It says, because in the grave, it says right here, it is too late to examine one ways and repent. There's no reincarnation. You're not going to get a second shot, folks. That's a big lie. you got one life to live and then the grave and that's it. So let's, let's make it count. As it says here, this is a... A comment again from uh, uh, Eruvin, excuse me, 65a in the Talmud. It says, uh, Rav Hasida's daughter asked him if he wished to take a nap. He answered, of course, he's being metaphorical here. It's okay to take a nap, you know, don't get crazy. But he says, the time will come when there is long days in the grave where Torah study and observance will be impossible. We will sleep much there. Meanwhile, we must exert ourselves and be involved with Torah and the commandments. And this life is the life which we need to... Give over to God. One last thing on those, on those, uh, on that, on that idea. Eleven and verse seven says, "Sweet is light, and it's good for the eyes to behold the sun." Mayam Loez brings down that sweet is life because precious is time. So take care not to waste it. And the sweet is light is a reference to Torah. Now there's a there's a a story here, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole story because it's kind of long, but there was a father, I'm just going to paraphrase the story, the father was wanting his son to study Torah, but he didn't really want to. So he said he devised a plan where his father was a, a gym maker, a gym craftsman. And he told his son, he said, if you study Torah, then I'll pay you. And so the son would study a little bit of Torah and he would come and give him a handful of gems. And the son wasn't very wise, unfortunately. He went to the marketplace, and he was going to buy some clothing. And the man said, pay me for my clothing. Pay me eight coins for my clothing, because his father would give him ten coins or ten gems. And the man said, I'll tell you what, I'll study Torah in your shop for a little bit, and... That will pay the eight coins, and you'll give me two for change. And the man drove him out of the store. He said, I'm not going to pay you. You're not going to pay me by your Torah learning. So the son came home, and he said to his father, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to be a gym salesman like you. He says, fine. So he sent his son on purpose to a marketplace where nobody knows about gyms. And he gave him a mediocre value to the gyms, half really of what they were worth. And he told the people what they were worth, and they spat at him and said, you're just trying to rip us off. Get these, that's not worth it. 
came home and he was frustrated. His father said, all right, I'm going to send you to another marketplace. So he sent him to another marketplace where there was a bunch of people who knew about gems and understood gems. And he made the value twice as much as the other. And he spent all day selling gems. He came home and told his father, I don't understand, Abba, why the ones did not value and the others saw the value and didn't question and bought it. And the father answered and said, that's because they understood the value of that which you were selling. That sometimes people don't understand the value of Torah. They devalue it because they don't understand it. They think it's something. It's what we started this drosh with today. They think it's the laws of men. It's just a bunch of nonsense, the traditions made up by Jews. They don't understand that it's the word of the living God. And this is why Yeshua said, don't give what is holy to dogs and don't throw your pearls before swine. We have to hold on to that which is holy and righteous and make that our precious gem. And we say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. 